I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Hi, friends. Happy Advent to you. Here we are in the first week of Advent, and we are quickly approaching the great solemnity, my favorite feast day coming up here. It is the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception this Saturday, December 8th, the Solemnity of Mary's Immaculate Conception. Now, when we think about this great feast day, a lot of people got questions here. They're wondering, oh boy, what is this going on with Mary and these Catholics? They always are exaggerating Mary's role in the Christian life. They make Mary out to be like God. God. She's she's on par with God. She's like the fourth person of the Trinity. And here's another example. You know, Jesus is a king, so they make Mary a queen. Jesus ascended into heaven, and so they make Mary have this thing called the assumption into heaven. And, and since Jesus was without sin, they, they've got to make Mary without sin. So they come up with this idea of the immaculate conception. Uh, I want to unpack for you what this doctrine is really all about. I want to understand how it's really all about Jesus and helps us to love Jesus more, to understand Jesus. And I, I understand the biblical roots of this doctrine, that it's actually something that has some scriptural support we're going to see. Uh, but but let's, let's, let's just step back for a moment and just examine what is the Immaculate Conception itself. A lot of confusion about this, even among many Greek Catholics. They think the Immaculate Conception is all about maybe Mary's virginal birth, that she gave birth to Jesus as a virgin, or she, she conceived Jesus as a virgin. This has nothing to do with Mary's conception of Christ. The Immaculate Conception is not about Mary as a virgin conceiving by the power of the Holy Spirit. This doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is about Mary's own conception in her own mother's womb. Mary was conceived in her mother, St. Anne's womb, full of grace without original sin. That's what this doctrine's all about. But I want to highlight here that everything, everything we Catholics believe about Mary is there not to get us to focus on her. She, she wouldn't want all of this attention. It's not about her. It's all about Jesus. All of the doctrines, all of the devotions that we have as Catholics related to Mary, it's meant to help us understand Jesus better. It's meant to help us love him more and live more according to his plan. That It's all about Jesus. And I think the Immaculate Conception is a wonderful doctrine to help us to see this. Uh, let me give you an example here. So when you think about the Immaculate Conception, that is Mary is full of grace. Why did God do this? Why would God make Mary full of grace, make her be conceived in her own mother's womb without the stain of original sin. What's this all about? It's not about Mary. (laughs) It's about the child that Mary's going to conceive in her womb. That's what this doctrine's about. It's all about God preparing Mary, Mary's womb, to be a holy sanctuary, a pure vessel for holding the holy son of God. <laughs> it's, 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 it's about preparing Mary to be like the temple that carried God's holy presence or the Ark of the Covenant that held the Shekinah, the glory cloud of God's divine presence. It's making Mary like a new temple, a new Ark of the Covenant molding her, shaping her, preparing her for her vocation to be the mother of the Son of God. And 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 so what this doctrine is doing is, is helping us to see that the child that Mary's carrying in her womb is no ordinary child. This isn't just going to be uh, a great spiritual leader, you know, a, a great prophet. There have been many prophets that had come before. There have been many leaders like David and Moses that had come before. The child that is in Mary's womb is, is on a completely different scale here, on a di- completely different level. This child is the Holy Son of God. He's divine. It's God 
taking on flesh in Mary's womb and dwelling within her. And so the the idea of Mary being immaculately conceived, why God would do this, is all about showing us who this child really is. This is no ordinary child. He's not just another great spiritual leader. He's not just another great prophet. He is God himself, the word made flesh. So it's fitting that God would do this, that if God would use the purest of gold to to build the Ark of the Covenant for, for housing his presence in the Old Testament, wouldn't he use the purest of women to, to, to dwell in for those nine months? Now, he didn't have to do it that way. He could have dwelt in a sinful woman. It's possible. But, but it's, it's most fitting that God would, would do this uh, to prepare Mary as a pure vessel to help us understand her son, Jesus. Isn't this wonderful, my friends, to see? I want you to think about this. When you go to Mass on this Saturday or Friday night for the solemnity, by the way, remember, it's a ma- it, it is a holy day of obligation. So we're going we're gonna to have to go to Mass back-to-back this weekend here. We have the Sunday obligation, and we've got the Mass coming up for the Immaculate Conception. You can probably go at an anticipatory Mass Friday night. You can go Saturday morning. Uh, but make sure you go. Make sure your friends and family members go. This is an important day. But when you go... I want you to be thinking about not just Mary, but think about Jesus and tell Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for for coming and dwelling among us. Thank you for becoming a baby and, and then growing up and dying for our sins. And thank you for what you did to highlight how you weren't just any ordinary child, but that you, who you really were. The unveiling of you as the son of God is already seen in how you were shaping Mary, your mother, to be the holy temple, the Ark of the Covenant, to carry your holy presence. So let's think about that. But, you know, this all sounds nice. And some of you may be listening going, okay, I mean, I see that, well, yeah, it would be nice if Mary was immaculately conceived and I see how fitting it would be if if she was like a pure holy temple. But where do you Catholics get this? I mean, is this just some piety that came out of the medieval period? Are you just making this up in your heads? Is there anything in the Bible that supports this? Because we should follow what the Bible says about Mary. And I think that's a great question. I want to I want to unpack that here. There is some biblical support for this. First of all, in Luke chapter one, verse twenty eight. When the angel Gabriel comes to Mary at the Annunciation, he says to her, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Now, some of you, you might have been surprised that I said those words because I bet some of you are wondering, why didn't he say, Hail, Mary, full of grace? Isn't that what we say? Because that's what we always say in the rosary and the Hail, Mary prayer. But you need to know that the Bible reveals that the angel Gabriel did not address Mary by her personal name. Luke one twenty eight says, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. And as a number of biblical scholars, even a number of Protestant scholars have pointed out uh, that the angel Gabriel addresses Mary as full of grace. In other words, that's like a new name for Mary. He doesn't call her by her her given name, Mary, he calls her full of grace. This is like a, a title, a new name. And in the Bible, when a, a name is given to someone, it's meant to tell us something about that person. So take, for example, in the Old Testament, you remember, you may remember the man Abraham. He was originally called Abram. He had a shorter name, was originally Abram. But then when God was going to bless him finally with a child, he'd been longing for a son for many, many years, and finally God's going to bless him with a child, Isaac, and it's going to be through this child that the nation of Israel is going to come from, God's holy people. And so God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude of nations. 
And so Abraham's new name tells us something about who he is and what his mission is, what his role is, and God's plan of salvation. And this happens many times in the Bible. The name reveals something about the person. So when the angel Gabriel comes to the Blessed Virgin Mary in the Annunciation, and says to her, hail, full of grace. He gives her a new name, full of grace. That's powerful. That's telling us something about Mary. It's telling us that she is full of grace. This is a part of her identity. This isn't just a nickname. As St. John Paul II once said, uh, full of grace is the name Mary possesses in the eyes of God. God made her full of grace to prepare her for being the holy uh, dwelling place for the Holy Son of God. So that, that's one little biblical data point that I think is important, that the language full of grace helps us to see uh, her new role. But the word itself is powerful. Let's unpack that. The word in Greek for full of grace uh, is kekaritomine. You don't need to, to know that. I write about it in my new book. By the way, all that I'm sharing with you is from my, my brand new book that just came out called Rethinking Mary in the New Testament. It just came out by Ignatius Press and Augustine Institute. And I'm so excited. It covers every New Testament reference to the Blessed Virgin Mary. So I have a whole chapter just on this very topic, full of grace. I have a whole chapter just on the word hail. I have a whole chapter just on Mary's words at Cana, uh, do whatever he tells you. And it's just unpacking every little scriptural data point about Mary and what it can tell us about her and her role in the Christian life. Uh, so uh, you can check that out. Maybe that would get you some more in-depth, if you want to go more in-depth into Mary and this particular topic. But I want to share with you one thing I cover in the book is how this word for full of grace is kekaritomene in Greek. Sometimes it's translated highly favored one or highly favored daughter. I don't think that's a great translation, and here's why. The word itself literally could be translated this way. Hail you who have been and continue to be graced. So it's it, the, the form of this verb in Greek is it's describing someone who has there's an action that began in the past and continues to have its effect in the present. And so it's describing how Mary already has grace. Long before the angel Gabriel came there, in other words, Mary already was graced. She was filled with grace. She was already transformed with God's life. Now, it doesn't tell us when that actually happened, but uh, and so it, it, I don't I want to I don't want to exaggerate this and use this as an explicit proof text for the Immaculate Conception. But I would say this is very strong biblical evidence for it. It's telling us that before Gabriel got there, she already had grace. Hail you who have been graced, and 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 that grace that was in her life already continues to have its effects in the present. Now here's the key. And this, this is so exciting. This is going to be so helpful. When you go to Mass this Saturday, listen to the readings. Because it's one of the, the, it's fascinating. The, the second reading that you're going to hear at Mass from the New Testament, it's from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. And at first glance, you may go, well, what? this isn't about Mary. Why are we reading about this? This is just about Christians in Ephesus. And, but why, why, why is this reading here? And I'm going to tell you why. It's because... The, the one other time we have the same kind of uh, expression of full of grace, the same, the same kind of root verb at least, you find it here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. So if we want to understand 
what Mary was being told by the angel Gabriel about how she's full of grace, let's look at this passage in Ephesians because it's going to round out for us the picture of what the Bible means by being full of grace. Listen to what Ephesians 1, I'm going to back up to verse 5, what Ephesians 1 verses 5 through 8 says. He destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I'm highlighting this here because the the idea of grace, Paul is talking to the Christians at Ephesus, and he's saying they've they've received this grace. And, And what has this grace done for them? It's given them redemption, he says. In him we have redemption through his blood. It's given them forgiveness of sins. He says, in him we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of the grace he's bestowed upon us. So these Christians who have grace, they already have the life of forgiveness of sins. They already have the life of redemption. They're also described as sons of God, sons of God through Jesus Christ. That's what this grace does in in the other New Testament passage where we read about this kind of transformative grace. It's right here in Ephesians, and it describes the Christians in Ephesus who are already forgiven of their sins. They already have the life of redemption. They're already children of God and God's covenant family. So when we go back and, and look at how that same root word is used in Luke chapter 1, verse 28 by Gabriel, that tells us a lot, doesn't it? It means Gabriel's basically saying to Mary, hail you who have been graced. Hail you who already have been graced. In other words, hail you who already have the grace like the Ephesians are going to have. <laughs> uh, in other words, hail you who already have the life of redemption, forgiveness of sins, and are, are filled with God's life and are children of God. That, that's what Mary already has even before Gabriel appeared to her. So this is a, a beautiful, beautiful verse here that points biblically to the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. It doesn't prove it, right? Because the angel doesn't come and say, Hail you who have been graced ever since you were conceived in your mother's womb. It doesn't quite give a timeline of when that grace came in Mary. But it's telling us that she already had this grace. God already was working in her soul long before Gabriel ever got there. So I think it is pointing toward what the early Christians began to see about Mary. They called her, one of her early titles is the All-Holy One. How fitting. She's all-holy, filled with God's grace. One last little point here. Some people may wonder, why? Okay, I see this in Scripture. I, I, I see that there's some at least support pointing in the direction of the Immaculate Conception, and, and, and I see how fitting it is that God would fashion her, mold her to be the dwelling place of the Holy Son of God. But doesn't Mary need salvation like the rest of us? I mean, you know, how could she have grace if Christ hasn't died on the cross yet? Uh, and that's a great question. And here's an analogy I would use just briefly is, you know, let's say if I is the summer and I'm taking my kids to the pool. I take them, they like to go swimming and, and they all are swimming. But I've got two little ones that don't know how to swim yet. 
but they're very fascinated by the swimming pool. Little little Eleanor is not scared of the swimming pool, and that makes me really scared because she's always tempted to like lean over and play with the water, and she wants to be with her siblings, but she could fall in. If I'm not looking, if I'm not careful, she could easily fall in, and she would drown. And so imagine if little Eleanor is like leaning over, and she's looking in the water, and I see her about to fall in. She loses her footing. She starts to slip. She's about to fall in, and imagine if I go and I catch her right before she falls. I would have saved her life. <laughs> but let's say I didn't get there fast enough. I didn't get there in time and she fell in. And now she's in the water and she's starting to sink. And I dive into the swimming pool, rescue little Eleanor and get her out. I saved Eleanor. Again, in both cases, I saved Eleanor. Whether it was I, I dove into the, to the waters and, and got her out after she fell in, or I caught her before she fell in. In both cases, Eleanor's life was dependent on her father saving her. Now, I share that story because I want you to know Mary was saved by Jesus. Mary was saved by the Heavenly Father. It's just that the rest of us, she's different. She was saved before she fell in. It's as if the Heavenly Father, before she ever goes near the pool, fills her with his grace fills her with the life of redemption, makes her a daughter of God, fills her with his life before she ever falls in the swimming pool of sin, so to speak. Uh, the rest of us, we fall into the pool, we're drowning, and then God comes through baptism and the sacraments and saves us, right? But in both cases, we're dependent on God. And so don't, don't ever think that Mary is beyond us. Mary is receiving extraordinary graces, unique privileges, and yet she's still a part of the human family. It's just that she was caught before she fell in to the waters of sin, that's what the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is all about. This has been so fun to work through this. Again, I want to let you know if you have more questions about the Blessed Virgin Mary, you can read about it in my brand new book called Rethinking Mary in the New Testament. Many people think the Bible doesn't give us a lot of information about Mary, and I want us to rethink that because there's so much rich biblical insight into who she was. It's so beautiful. Just little words like hail favored one or um, you, uh, the Lord is with you. Uh, things like when she says that she's keeping and pondering all these things in her heart, uh, the sword that's going to pierce her soul. There's so many rich little data points that can tell us so much about her. So check out my new book, Rethinking Mary in the New Testament. You can find it online. You can find it at Ignatius Press. You can find it at Amazon. Um, and if you have any questions about Mary, about the Immaculate Conception, check out my website. I've got a number of articles about Mary. So if you or you're getting ready to go home and you have some Protestant relatives or friends you're going to see over Christmas, uh, I've got a lot of free articles on my website. They're just for free. You can share them with your friends. Uh, that's edwards3.com. You can always reach me there at edwards3.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Twitter. I will be in the Holy Land this week and I will be praying for all of you and your intentions. Please pray for me. Thanks so much and God bless.